Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. It is I, your host, Allison Kilkenny, coming at you bright and early. The sun is just coming up on a Friday, but don't worry, it's not Friday for you. I don't want you to get all disoriented at the top of the show. I'm recording early because my weekend is jam-packed and I have once again done a poor job of creating my schedule. I need an assistant, but I I need someone to like help with my schedule, but also tell me it's going to be okay the whole time. Is that a, an assistant or a therapist? I don't think therapists tell you it's going to be okay the whole time. I wish they did, but I don't think that's their job. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. I have many, many recommendations to get to. I saw Dune. Don't worry. No spoilers. I was fortunate enough to see it a little bit early this week. And oh boy, do I have thoughts again. Don't worry. Keep listening to the show. I'm not going to have any spoilers. Um, I just want to talk about the film overall. Broad themes. Broad impressions. Spoiler, I liked it a lot. There's your spoiler. I'm a fan. I'm seeing it again immediately. But before we get to all that, this is Light Treason News. It is a 100% listener-supported show. What the hell does that mean, Allison? Well, it means that you're not going to hear any commercials during this podcast. That's pretty sweet. And for, oh, geez, 10-plus years? Oh, God. She old. I have been supported by you, the listeners. So if you're a fan of the show... If you've been a part of the community for a long time and you're like, you know what, Allison, I could kick you $5 a month, here are a couple ways you can do that. You can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, where there is a little community of listeners who leave comments, questions, uh, recommendations that I'll read on the show. I have some here in my little document that I'm going to read during this episode. Or if you're like... (laughs) I want nothing to do with Patreon. You can just go to lighttreason.news, smash that donate button, keep us going for a little while longer, keeping the lights on, keeping my cat fed, uh, paying my co-hosts when I mad- <laughs> manage to uh, schedule one. I swear that will happen again soon. Life has just been a lot lately, and everybody's busy. You know how it goes. There was just a goddamn pandemic. Some of my co-hosts had to leave the fucking state. We scrambling. We scrambling to make it happen. So, you know what? Without further ado, because I literally can't think of anything else, let's just jump right into it. I saw Dune. Now, you're probably all wondering, Allison, was the worm big enough? And I'm here to tell you, gentle listener, yes, that worm is big. So get excited if that's the main draw for you. If you're like, I want to check out this worm. I'm going to tell you right now, that worm is big. See it on the largest screen you can. Okay, let me say this, because I know there's been some pushback to film creators telling people, encouraging them to see Dune in the theaters. And let me just say this. I know everyone's not comfortable doing that. If you're immunocompromised, if you live in a community where people aren't big on wearing masks or getting vaccinated, I fully understand you not wanting to go to the theater. Watch this baby on HBO Max. However. However, if, like me, you are double vaxxed, maybe you even got the booster. Good for you. 
you wear masks, you're in a community where people, generally speaking, more or less wear their masks, and you feel comfortable going to the movie theater, this is such a spectacular way to return to the movies. I can't tell you how nice it was to be in a crowded theater. I mean, it was pretty much sold out, which I think this is the first film you know, getting back to the theaters after like two years where it was pretty much sold out, even more than uh, Shang-Chi, which I was like, damn, okay, Dune. And having a bunch of nerds just so into this fucking movie, they clapped at the end. I mean, I clapped. I'm not a jerk. Everybody else was clapping. I'm not going to clap. Oh, have you ever gone to a Broadway show or something? And have you been with a person who at the end of the show refuses to stand up for the ovation? I haven't, but I've seen it happen and it is humiliating. Don't be that person. Everybody else is clapping. It's a good fucking film. You clap. A bunch of nerds clapping, you know, vocal in a good way during the movie. It was so nice to return to that experience. And this film is spectacular. Denis, we got to talk about Denis Villeneuve. This guy has balls. If you've seen any of the reviews, and again, this is a spoiler-free review, don't worry. One of the criticisms has been that it is extremely dense, the material. And if you've read the books, you get it. It's, It's this really complicated mythology, complicated with the mythology, but also politically. Like, it's a dense, dense text that Denis was given... And basically told, you have to make a two and a half hour film introducing people to this enormous world. Good luck. Good luck with Dune Part 1. Maybe we'll give you a Dune Part 2. Which is an insane offer and an insane challenge. And Denis, to his credit, gives the audience a lot of credit and doesn't hold their hand. He just drops you into the middle of this world and it's like, good luck, bitch. Figure it out. And I'll tell you, and I'll be honest, I haven't read the books. So your girl was scrambling a little bit. I was like, okay, what the fuck is happening? There's no glossary. It's not a book. You know, you can't keep referring back to the opening pages to be like, okay, who are these people? You just figure it out. And I figured it out. And by the end of the film, it didn't feel like I was watching a science fiction film. It felt like this is a fully realized world. Every detail, man, the set pieces, the costumes. I mean, obviously, you have an all-star cast who are all incredible in their own right. I loved it. I really, really did. Um, You know, Denis is unusual in the sense that he's not a Marvel director. He takes his time with the pacing. Again, he gives his audience a lot of credit. He's not aiming to the lowest common denominator. And again, this is no shade against the MCU. I love Marvel films. I'm not one of these people who's like, you know, shitting on superhero movies. But I'm so interested to see how the general populace (laughs) receives it because it takes its time. This is very much a part one. And if you're braced for that going in, if you realize this is just half of the first book, you won't feel disappointed. At the end, you'll feel intrigued. You'll pray that Warner Brothers uses their fucking brains and greenlights the second part because this is all build up the first movie. We we haven't even really gotten to the meat of the story yet. So I'm hopeful. It seems like it's doing pretty well. Uh, a Warner Brother executive recently said something. I believe the CEO said um, 
basically like no shit we're gonna green light the second part so hopefully hopefully fingers crossed unless something really dumb happens we'll get a second part but dumb shit happens all the time in hollywood so wouldn't surprise me that's why i'm saying if you are a fan of cinema if you're a fan of the spectacle of filmmaking if you're a fan of denis which i know you know a lot of film buffs are because he's a genius check it out at imax if you can Um, And if you can't, if there's no IMAX near you, at least see it on a bigger screen because it is beautiful. I feel like I saw a lot of this film before it came out because, again, we've been waiting two years. So I think Warner Brothers was panicking a little bit and they kept releasing new trailers, new footage. And I was like, damn, I feel like I've seen this film before it came out. And that's kind of true. Uh, when you see it, I'm like, yes, this this is familiar. Um, although the scale of it obviously is is breathtaking. But it really flew by for me. It's like a two and a half hour film, I think. And didn't feel like it, to Denise's credit. I think it's pretty well paced. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And to anyone out there who has concerns about cultural appropriation, the, the themes of colonizers, um, you know, uh, taking command of, of indigenous communities and exploiting their resources. Valid. I hear you. I can only tell you what I've heard from people who have read the entire anthology. Apparently, Dune is actually a critique of uh, colonization, appropriate cultural appropriation, the white messiah figure. Apparently, eventually, Dune turns all of that on its head and becomes a pretty scathing critique of those themes. However, I can see, uh, not knowing that, seeing the first film being like, I'm sorry, what? In the year 2021, we're going to have a white male lead as our messiah figure? What's happening? But even in this film, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, this film isn't um, approving of that. It's very much like, this happens to be happening right now. But do we really approve of it? Probably not. So again, I can only tell you what I've heard secondhand because I have not read the books because I'm too cool. I'm too cool. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't have the attention span for it in high school. Let's be real. I was a stoner. So although I hear those books are actually great if you're a stoner. Don't tweet me. I know what's going on. But I just wanted to speak to that because I have seen some criticism of the film. And it was confusing to me because I had not seen the film, obviously, but I had seen a bunch of interviews with Denis. And Denis said that his two main priorities in terms of uh, text when when tackling this film were he wanted to flesh out the, the female characters because they're a little thin in the books. And he was intrigued by the critique of colonization. So I was a little confused when I saw some uh, criticism saying that (laughs) this was a film celebrating a Messiah figure, celebrating colonization. And I was like, that doesn't sound like what Denis was saying. It would be weird if the director did the opposite of what he was claiming to do. But now having seen it, I was like, oh, we'll probably really, really get into that stuff in the second film. Maybe if there's a third film, I don't know. But let me know if you've seen Dune, what you thought of it. Hashtag Light Trees and Pod. And again, yeah, if you're looking for a reason to return to the theaters, I mean, it doesn't get bigger than Dune. It was a great time. See it with a, a bunch of nerds if you can. 
Generally speaking, that's always the best way to see films, I think, in my personal opinion. People who are not concerned with looking cool at all. Um, I was sitting next to a guy who just like, he was in heaven the whole time. He just kept saying things out loud. He was so happy. And that was really nice. It was nice to be around my fellow nerds again. So uh, highly recommended Dune. Again, I, I told you guys I'm seeing it again ASAP. And then I'll probably watch it again on HBO Max with the subtitles. Because again, your girl missed some stuff. My little brain is rushing to keep up. Damn. Damn, that worm was big. All right. Also in recommendations, Succession is back. Yeah. Cue the greatest theme song of all time. Man, that if you didn't see the premiere, it flew by. Mind you, mind you, we've been waiting two years for Succession to come back. This is an hour-long show. I felt like it was a half an hour. We're right back into it. The, the performances, the characters, it's so fucking funny. Kendall, my man, is there a better portrayal of the weak male ego on television than Kendall Roy? I don't think there is. The scene where he just says, all of these smart women, I got to be doing something right. This guy wants approval so badly. And it's not coming. It's not coming. Um, and I, the one uh, criticism, not criticism, I heard a critic sort of uh, boil down the themes of episode one of this new season. And the thing that gave me chills was he was saying, Logan doesn't want to die. He wants to be killed. And that really struck me because I was like, right, Logan doesn't want to step down from the mantle of CEO of this massive media conglomerate. He wants one of his children to kill him, which is why in that scene, spoiler, when he's sort of vetting his kids and Roman gives him the hard sell, you know, of why he should be made head of the company. And then he says, or Jerry's an option. Man, Logan smelled weakness. He smelled weakness and he said, immediately got off the phone. He says, it's not Roman. Roman's out. And Shiv, same thing. I don't think he felt she was a big enough killer. But, I mean, Kendall just came for his head. Kendall straight up has a sword and came for his head. And as pissed as Logan is at him, he also respects it. He respects that move because... Kendall's trying to be a killer. I don't know if ultimately Kendall is a killer. I think he is playing at being a killer. And I think he's incredibly vulnerable and, you know, has that addict thing where at any time you feel like he could self-implode uh, and, and you know, relapse or, or do something else that would be self-sabotaging. I think ultimately that will happen because Kendall is a loose cannon but at least he he went for it. And you can tell Logan begrudgingly does respect that, even though he is uh, planning to, and I quote, grind his bones to make my bread. He's a little mad. He's a little mad at him right now. Cousin Greg. Cousin Greg is back, too. Oh, my God. The Pope is following you. Oh, wait. That's not the real Pope. <sighs> 
Why is this show so good? I'm so glad it's back. I didn't realize how much I missed it. You know when a show gets so much buzz, even if you're enjoying it, after a while you're like, okay, calm down, everybody. It's not like the second coming. Everybody calm down. I know we're all a little worked up about this show. Seeing the premiere of this, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is one of the best shows on television. This is a fucking masterpiece. So glad it's back. Movies are back. Succession is back. I'm happy. What time is it? Should we get into? All right. I'm going to save some of these other recommendations because I went on at length about Dune because I liked it. So let's get to some Patreon messages. First up is Brian, who says, well, Allison, if you like shark movies, remember when this is going back a few weeks, everybody, I apologize. Sometimes it takes me a while to get to your messages. You know, no shade. It just it happens. I have been talking about that. I really love shark movies. So Brian coming in with the shark movie Rex, you'd probably love the DVD set that I'd chosen for season six of my show. Okay, we got a shameless plug in here. Respect. Oh, and speaking of shameless, it's called Shameless Cash Grab, by the way. Plug, pluggy, plug, plug. It's called Shark Bait and was put out by Mill Creek Entertainment, as most of the sets I've used for the show have been. It contains six sharks movies and one alligator movie. Okay. On two discs which the cover art refers to as a bonus bite. All right. Okay, shark pun. I see you. And hey, since the alligator movie took the number three slot at the end of the season, bonus is a good word for it. Anyway, in addition to zombie shark and ghost shark, which were mentioned in my previous comment, it comes with the movies Swamp Shark, Ozark Sharks, Mississippi River Sharks, Mississippi River Sharks, and Santa Jaws. Okay, I, I got to tell you, I am most intrigued by Santa Jaws. Here's what I'm picturing. I am picturing a Santa shark hybrid. So a great white shark. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm picturing. A great white shark with a Santa hat and a long white beard. He might also say ho, ho, ho before he eats you. Yes, Santa Jaws, Brian writes. I'm not sure what angers me more about that, that it took until the late 2010s for someone to use that title for a movie or that the movie itself is boring as fuck. Oh, no. How do you fuck up Santa Jaws? I'm alarmed hearing that. That feels like a golden idea that they really, really squandered. And I'm upset too, Brian. I'm sorry it's boring. Santa Jaws. If anybody is artistically inclined out there and wants to draw Santa Jaws, Please do. Send it to me. Again, you don't have to adhere to my vision, which once again is a great white shark with Santa's hat and the Santa beard who says ho, ho, ho before he eats you. It can be your own vision, but I would be very curious to see it. So Angela writes, this isn't a spooky question. Oh, I should say, Angela, thank you for reminding me. I'm still taking spooky submissions, guys. So You know, what is a spooky submission? Did you see a dang ghost? Do you know someone who saw a dang ghost? I don't want urban legends. I want direct intel. It doesn't have to be ghost related. It can be, hey, this this scary thing happened to me one time. Keep it light, though. You know what I'm saying? Like something I would want to read on air that is um, entertaining and funny. Nothing too heavy. Because it's spooky season and it's still spooky season for a couple weeks. Although... I'll be real. Uh, Spooky is not seasonal. 
So you can send a ghost story freaking whenever you want. All right. That's that's my guarantee on the show. I will read your ghost story in the middle of June because that's just who I am. So Angela writes, this isn't a spooky question, but it's about really rich, terrible people. So that's scary. Angela, great point. Generational wealth is terrifying. So if your spooky story has to do with rich people, a la Parasite, send that shit. Oh, oh, Angela, on theme. I just started watching Succession. Great. And I have one episode left of season two. What are your thoughts on Tom? Mm. Great question, Angela. So Tom, husband to Shiv, uh, the, the only daughter of Logan, he uh, is sort of tangentially related to power, although he's a, he's a very wealthy guy, very powerful guy in his own right. Bit of a goofball early on when we meet him. You think he's just sort of this blundering sidekick of Shiv. That changes a little bit as it goes on. I think Tom proves himself to be a little more savvy. Um, a little more in the know than we originally thought. And without giving anything away about the the season three premiere, I'll say this about Tom. He's an excellent partner to Chef. And as bad as their marriage is, and don't get me wrong, they should absolutely get divorced. There is something really intriguing about their partnership. He has her back. And she sees that. And she occasionally appreciates it. And I'm very interested in Tom. Could Tom eventually be the new CEO? I know um, I, all right, I won't say that. Somebody else is appointed CEO by the end of the season premiere, who is not Tom. I'll just say that. But I wonder how long that's going to last, this interim CEO. I think this person who has been made the new CEO perhaps has bitten off a little more than they can chew and will immediately realize that they have made a terrible mistake by accepting (laughs) this position because this company is mired in scandal. Mired. And you are the new head of it. That's not good. You potentially just signed up to, to fall on the sword. So I think eventually Tom might take over and that will just be gold. I can't imagine how much it would piss off Shiv. I can't imagine how quickly Tom will unravel. It'll be very, very funny to watch. Again, that's just my prediction. It might not happen. But those are my thoughts on Tom. I think he is a mess, but occasionally a surprisingly adept mess. And again, love Shiv. I I don't think that's disputed. That he, I think... The, this is one of those classic imbalances in a couple where one partner loves the other way, way, way more <laughs> than the other partner loves them. So uh, clearly Tom was the one who was just head over heels for Shiv. Because she was dope. She was amazing. I mean, she's evil and bad, as everybody is in this show. But she's also, like, beautiful and uh, brilliant and really sophisticated in her way and uh savvy like very very captivating so you understand tom poor tom meaning shiv being like da damn right whereas shiv i think is sort of amused by tom where it's like look at this goofball who loves me so there's my thoughts angela angela what are your thoughts on tom i want to hear that too so let me know so all right everybody Uh, That's enough for today, I think. 
Um, yeah, 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 we'll call it there. I guess I'll just do one more quick recommendation because I don't know how timely it's going to be in a week or two. You season three is great. Um, you would think, how are they going to keep it fresh? How are they going to keep it going? How in the love of God, speaking of love, how, how have Joe and love not been busted yet? They are serial murderers. When are people going to catch on to them? They keep it going in, in convincing ways. So season three is great. I specifically wanted to shout out uh, Shalita Grant, who you might recognize, recognize if you've seen Search Party. She's also fantastic in that. And Travis Van Winkle. Uh, they play a couple, a very <laughs> uh, annoying influencer couple, but they are fucking hysterical in it. And they sort of inject the show with, I think, a much needed a bit of fresh air because again, it, it could get old, you know, watching Joe and love be in a bad marriage and kill people together. But they really in this season, uh, skewer suburban life and influencer culture in hilarious ways. Like legitimately I was laughing out loud, hilarious ways uh, Shalita Grant for me is the MVP of this season. And also I wanted to shout out, uh, Dylan Arnold, who's great in it as well as Theo. Um, yeah, the new cast members, I think really, really bring it and make season three. Awesome. And again, I think, uh, you get a, a bad rap because, you are expected to like the protagonist. And in this case, the protagonist is a serial killer. I don't know if I like Joe. I am entertained by Joe. Joe's certainly a handsome man. People have been talking about that as well. Very like, you know, Ted Bundy vibes. Um, but yeah, I'm entertained by Joe. I'm not. I like ultimately at the end of this series, what I want to happen is I want Joe to get caught. So I'm not rooting for Joe to get away killing people. And I think you gets a bad rap because so many critics assume that's why people are watching it, <laughs> that we're rooting for a serial killer. And it's like, no, no, no. The story is entertaining. Joe and Love are bad people. Absolutely want them to get caught. Um, but yeah. So check out You Season 3 if you're a fan of the other two seasons. If it's not your thing, I fully understand. On that note, everybody, it's that time of the show. <gasps> Let's all hold hands and cry. It's your bad news. All right. This first story is going to seem a little strange why I included it in the bad news section. Not that I included it in the bad news section. I think you'll determine almost immediately that it is indeed a bad news story. But you might be a little like, Allison, why is that one of your top bad news stories? Don't worry. I'm going to explain myself in full. So late last night, I come home from seeing Dune and I was like, I should see what's trending on Twitter, uh, catch up with the news of the day, see if any if there's any breaking news that happened before I record the show. I should be educated about it. And I see Alec Baldwin killed somebody on set. And I'm like, excuse me? What the fuck happened? Producer and actor Alec Baldwin apparently fired a prop gun that killed a woman and injured a man on the set of the movie 
Rust in New Mexico on Thursday. So the film's director of photography, Helnia Hutchins, she's 42, was killed. And director Joel Souza, 48, was injured when Alec Baldwin discharged a prop firearm. Now, there have been reports that allegedly there was a single live round in this prop gun. That is, according to the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, Local 44, they sent out a email to its members Friday morning and said there was a single live round that was accidentally fired on set by the principal actor. So if that is true, if a prop master knowingly put a live round into a prop gun, that's manslaughter. So TBD remains to be seen. That is one of uh, many rumors out there right now. But I wanted to talk more about the labor aspect of this. Even in an ideal scenario, okay, let's set aside the fact that potentially this was manslaughter. Even in an ideal situation, the responsible prop master who knows their shit and is concerned with safety, a prop gun is still a gun. So if anything happens with a misfiring, if the blank shells don't explode properly, you're shooting a projectile. So that's why it's so important to have a good prop master constantly checking the gun, constantly looking in the chambers of the gun shooting practice rounds beforehand, before every take, being on set, walking the actor through. I saw some people criticizing Alec Baldwin. It is not the actor's job to be in charge of the props. This is, listen, I am not a fan of Alec Baldwin (laughs) for so many reasons. This is not his fault. This was gross negligence. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is it is a fucking tragedy. I. It's so scary, especially like if you've been on a film set, if you know people who work on film sets, there is a lot of trust at play. You just assume everybody's at the top of their game and on top of things and you are safe. There's a lot of trust. And this is fucking scary. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is I had previously covered the uh, IATSE if you want to say IATSE, IATSE, people pronounce it all different ways. Strike that was authorized ultimately did not happen because, and this often happens in the case of a union, you know, being strong and authorizing a strike. The powers that be come to the negotiation table pretty dang quickly because they're afraid. Um, if you're not familiar, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees is a union that represents. Sound technicians, carpenters, makeup artists, set decorators, costume designers, other so-called, quote-unquote, below-the-line workers. You know, that's basically like people who are not your talent, director, DP, AP, you know, like the big Academy Award categories, the quote-unquote below-the-line workers, aka the people who make everything happen, who end up working the longest hours. Um. That's who we're talking about here. And the reason I wanted to talk about the Alec Baldwin story is that also includes 
props, prop masters, and how important it, how important these jobs are is what I, the main reason I wanted to talk about it. And this is clearly illustrated because somebody died and somebody else was very badly hurt. And, you know, as much as I, I don't like Alec Baldwin, again, for so many reasons, how fucking traumatizing it must be for him that he inadvertently killed someone like that is not something he's going to come back from quickly and it it's not his fault and that sucks because again as an actor you have a lot of trust on a set you trust your director you trust everybody you trust your prop master and again I don't want to put all the blame on the prop master I don't know what happened but somebody maybe multiple people fucked up real badly and now someone is dead and this potential strike that again didn't happen um shows why these jobs are so important so valuable so critical to not just films and tv getting made but to safety just basic safety workplace safety so if you're not familiar uh, studio sources have said that They gave more ground than they expected during negotiations with the union. Workers won 3% annual wage hikes, improvements in pay and conditions on streaming productions, and a rest period of 10 hours between daily shoots and 54 hours on weekends. So that's good. They got more than they asked for. That's ideal. Um, Streaming productions. Let's talk about that because that was a big thing, a, a big point in negotiations. Studios like to say or like to treat streaming productions and platforms as if they are still somehow unique, separate, distinct from regular TV and film productions. And they do that so they can underpay people. And they consistently refer to streaming productions as quote unquote new media. It's not new anymore. It's just what media is. So to treat it it as somehow being separate from other productions is ridiculous. You can't force people to work so long, such insane hours that they're getting UTIs because they feel like they can't take a pee break. That happened many times. You can't work people to death. It's inhumane and fucked up. And if you have ever watched a movie, if you have ever watched a TV show and been a fan of it, you're a fan of everybody behind the scenes. And that includes the quote unquote below the line workers who, again, work the longest hours, work the hardest. It mirrors our regular economy, right? Like everybody, not everybody. Critics try, critics of the Fight for 15 movement try to portray fast food work as not being quote unquote real work. When in fact, it is the hardest labor. You're on your feet all day. You're in front of a hot fryer. It's a hard fucking job. Physically, it's physically taxing. I encourage anybody who doesn't think they should earn $15 an hour to just work one shift at McDonald's. It's, and I can say that it's, I, I have never worked a fast food job. I worked at a bagel store in high school, but I don't think that's the same necessarily as fast food. It sucked. It was hard. but not quite the same pace. But I can even empathize as someone who has never worked that job. You just go into a fast food restaurant and like watch them work. Like it's not an easy job. Um, so this mirrors that, right? Where it's like 
when we think of TV, when we think of film, we tend to think of the glorified positions, director, actor. But all of the nitty gritty stuff, all the technical stuff is happening because people who are really good at their jobs are working tirelessly behind the scenes. They should be compensated fairly and they should be able to rest reasonable amounts of time. And I really want to applaud a lot of uh, quote unquote talent who supported the the talks of this strike maybe happening, even if it would have meant a work slowdown, even if it would have meant a strike. There were people whose shows would have been directly affected who supported the IATSE. And I think that is a big part of the reason that ultimately the studios came to the table and were like, let's let's work something out because they knew the public was on their side. So I want to applaud everybody who posted about it online, who talked about it in the media, especially if your show would have been directly affected because that was powerful. If the host of a show is like, I don't care if I lose work, I support these workers. Now, that's just smart on a tactical level because like you don't want to piss off the crew. But I also think they meant it genuinely, you know, like they work with these people. They're friends with these people. They're their colleagues. You know, they don't want them mistreated. So that was really beautiful to see. Uh, Kudos to the workers. You fucking did it. Collective bargaining. It works. Who would have thought, oh, that's right, literally everybody. So that was a little bit of good news and your bad news for that. All right, man, I'm really running over. That's okay. I just wanted to quickly talk about, speaking of workers, the supply chain disruptions that are happening in the United States right now. First of all, for anybody who thinks that the supply chain disruptions will magically be fixed if Pete Buttigieg doesn't go on parental leave, what? What? That's not the case at all. Let that man go be with his children. I don't care. I don't care if Pete Buttigieg goes and hangs out with his kids a little longer. Let the man raise his children. What is happening doesn't have to do with Pete Buttigieg trying to be a good dad. What this has to do with, and if you've been a listener of the show for a while, remember in the early days, or not even the early days, the mid days of the pandemic, when I was like, when is the other shoe going to drop? Why haven't we seen disruptions in the supply chain? Here we are. They're happening. It was a little bit of a delayed effect, but this is a lingering effect of COVID-19. And guess what? Not enough warehouse workers, not enough truck drivers. These jobs that on the whole as a society We don't value, even though they are the foundation of our fucking economy, as we're seeing right now. If we don't have enough workers, including migrant workers, to work in our warehouses, grow our food, drive our trucks, uh uh-oh, when you go to the store, shelves are bare. And then you get upset and yell at the store owner when it's like, Again, our entire economy functions because people who we don't value work very, very hard and we don't pay them enough. We don't value the jobs. We don't pay them enough. Sometimes we have dumb immigration policies that keep them out of the country. And then all of a sudden it's like, why don't we have 
strawberries at the grocery store. What happened? It's like, well, you fucked the workers who do everything. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Value workers, because they're how shit gets done, how you function. And I'm including myself in that. I know that I am, I exist because of the labor of other people. But I want them paid well, and I want them treated with dignity, and I want them to have happy lives. Is that so much to ask? Is it so much to ask? On that note, everybody, that's enough of the bad. Here's your good news. Ah, I see I put Colin Powell dying in the good news section. Let me explain. Let me explain. Because when someone dies in the United States, a, a, a big political, historical media figure like Colin Powell, there is this rush to glorify their legacy, even if they are, say, a war criminal. So let me explain. I understand Colin Powell was a hugely significant historical figure. First black U.S. Secretary of State. Um, you know, and, and died of COVID-19 complications, which is um, bad. And also, you know, he had been applauded leading up to his death for, for being pro-vaccine, vaccine, um, for, and, and he was vaccinated, but he was also immunocompromised because he was battling cancer. So. The reason I'm putting it in the good news section is I think it is critical to remember that Colin Powell is the reason we invaded Iraq because he was held in such high regard that when he testified before Congress and said they had weapons of mass destruction, which was a lie, he knew it was a lie. This is very important to remember because there are some history revisionists at work trying to claim that he was manipulated, he was lied to, he was given bad intel. No, no, no. We invaded Iraq because he and Donald Rumsfeld decided that there were better military targets in Iraq. And they knew they had to justify it, so he lied. He knew he was lying. And a million people died? We, we still don't have accurate figures for how many people ultimately died because of that. He's a war criminal. And we can have warm feelings about historical significance, like being the first black U.S. Secretary of State, hugely significant, huge move forward for our country in itself good. We can, you know, appreciate these little anecdotes people have, have about him being funny or charming. Great, great, great. War criminal. And it's important to remember that. And now there is one less war criminal. And that's why it's in the good news section. So speaking of other abysmal people, let's talk about Steve Bannon, shall we? Um, The House voted to hold Trump's nearest and dearest ally, Steve Bannon, in criminal contempt for defying a subpoena. 
about the January 6th attack on the Capitol. You know, obviously, Steve Bannon, key player in the the buildup, the hysteria behind what happened on January 6th. So the House of Representatives and Congress uh, were like, hey, we'd like to chat with you about that. And you trying to, oh, you know, overthrow the government. And Steve Bannon was like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I'm not showing up. So now they have held him in contempt. Does that ultimately matter? No. I mean, it doesn't seem like powerful people ever go to jail in this country. So I would never dare to claim that anything will come from this. Um, But the action marks a significant escalation in how far Democrats are willing to go to rebuke individuals who refuse to cooperate as the House Select Committee investigates the violent attack that sought to overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election. Well said, CNN. I got to give it up. CNN, well said. It's nice to see the Democrats occasionally show some balls. Occasionally show some balls. Now, again, I'm not saying like Steve Bannon's going to go to jail. I'm not saying anybody who was behind the January 6th attack on the Capitol is going to be punished. Anytime someone's like, this is going to be the thing that sends Trump and Bannon to jail, I'm like, what are you basing that on? Every other time a powerful person has gotten away with something in our past, because that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that you can pretty much try to overthrow the U.S. government. And if you're a rich, well-connected person, you can walk away. So, I mean, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen in the case of Steve Bannon. So, but again, I'm putting it in the good news section because I do think it's significant that the Democrats haven't let January 6th go because you know how Obama loved to say, we, we have to look forward, we can't look back. I pretty much expected the Democrats to do that with the January 6th Capitol riot. You know, they, the, the mob didn't overthrow the government. Few, few. So let's just look forward. Let's not look back. I really, really thought the Democrats were going to do that. And they haven't quite let it go yet. So they did vote to approve the, the rule providing for consideration of the contempt resolution. The rule passed on a largely party line vote. Who, who could have predicted? 221 to 205. 205. 205 representatives said, let Steve Bannon walk. Only two Republicans joined the Democrats to vote in favor. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I know it seems like weak sauce good news, but I do think it's symbolically significant to A, not let the January 6th attack go. B, to say, hey, even if you're a rich, well-connected person, you can't try to overthrow the government. That's where we're at, where I'm putting this in the good news section. Okay, and finally, I'm bringing you a rare bit of good abortion news. Uh, You can now order abortion pills before you're pregnant in all 50 states. So this is from Jezebel. Just before Texas's six-week abortion ban took effect on September 1st, online medication abortion provider Aid Access 
began to let Texans who aren't pregnant order the pills to prepare for a future unwanted pregnancy. This is a concept known as advanced provision, and it's akin to having emergency contraception waiting in your medicine cabinet before you actually need it. It's especially helpful for people living in rural areas or in places hostile to birth control and abortion. So now Aid Access has quietly rolled out advanced provision of abortion pills to to people capable of pregnancy in all 50 states, a move that could revolutionize how people obtain and think about early abortion care in the U.S. So a, a rare bit of good news for abortion access in the United States. Um, Again, that's aid access, A-I-D access. So I'm just reading from the article. Aid access notes that people should contact them immediately if they become pregnant in the future so uh, they can guide them through the process. They advise checking the expiration dates when you receive the medicines and note that most pills can be kept up for two years after receiving them. So again, uh, terrible that we have to rely on something like aid access because abortion rights have been so uh, destroyed by the right in this country and that abortion providers are terrorized on a daily basis, sometimes executed in public for the crime of providing people uh, with medical care. But uh, a great option, especially if you are listening this, to this right now and you live in a rural area or you know someone who lives in a rural area, this is an option for them if they are uh, concerned about potentially needing an abortion one day and not being able to receive it. Because, you know, again, sometimes people have to drive hundreds of miles to get to an abortion clinic uh, and they have to pass checkpoints. And if they are undocumented, that can be a very scary situation or an impossible situation. They can't risk it. So they are just shit out of luck, basically. And it's like, sorry if you have an unwanted pregnancy or you are medically endangered by a pregnancy. We don't care. So this is an option for them. I just want to get the news out there about it because uh, at this time when it seems like Roe v. Wade is going the way of the dinosaur, we're going to have to rely on networks like this, informational networks, care networks, where we just take care of each other. So aid, access, let the people know, let's take care of each other. Oh, I guess I should explain a little bit more about how it works. So. In 18 states that both permit medication abortion to be prescribed via telemedicine and where aid access has providers, a U.S.-based provider will review the web consult and write the script. The patient will pay $150 and the package will arrive in a few days. In other states, an overseas provider will write the script. Patients will pay $110 and get the pills from a pharmacy in India in two to four weeks. Um, And there is financial help um, that is available for either option. So if the cost is prohibitive, let them know there's financial help. Isn't it fun that we have to rely on a provider in India because our own fucking government won't take care of our citizens? It's the end of the world. Oh, baby. I didn't even get into 
climate change in this episode because I feel like I could talk about it every episode and then it would just be a climate change show. And that's not what the show is. This show is primarily pop culture nonsense. And then I hit you over the head with bad news. And then I pick you back up with some good news at the end. So again, uh, good abortion news is rare in the United States. So I have to give it up for aid access. Thank you, because um, our government is cray. And the right wing in this country is cray. And they want a full, uh, a full Handmaid's Tale, if you will. They want to go full Handmaid's Tale. Guys, on that note, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. The sun is now fully up. I should probably get breakfast before I pass out. And then I'm going to go see that dang worm again. Until I dream about it. Right in its back. Through the desert. That's the goal, right? If you have any questions, recommendations, suggestions, concerns, questions, what else? Anything. You can leave them at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. That, of course, is not the only way you can contact me, but it's a little perk for my supporters. You know, they get to skip the line. They get their questions and comments and recommendations read first. But you can also email the show, lighttreasonnews at gmail.com. I don't check it that often, but I'll check it eventually. I guess just don't send time-sensitive material to the email. You can also tweet me, message me on Instagram. I'm on those platforms too, at Allison Kilkenny, but the show is on those platforms, Light Treason Pod. And I'll also read those. I, I won't be a snob about it. Oh, I guess to prove that... I wanted to shout out quickly before the show is over. Oh, God, so much pressure. I could have hit pause, but I didn't. So on Twitter recently, it's loading, it's loading. One of our listeners contacted the show. The reason I'm talking like that is I am gradually trying to get to the profile of the show. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot how Twitter works. I forgot how the layout works. Oh, my God. Why is this so hard? All right, there we go. Um, Man, I haven't been on Twitter a lot, if you can't tell. I fully forgot how to get to my own profile. So I believe it was Brian who uh, <laughs> tweeted. I can't remember who it was from Light Treason Pod that said that Dear Evan Hansen was bad, but whoever it was, from what I can remember, you totally undersold it and then uh, linked to a very funny YouTube video roasting Dear Evan Hansen. So let me just say, I believe everyone who has come on Light Treason News roasted Dear Evan Hansen. I actually can't remember who specifically you're talking about, Brian, because I know for sure I have roasted Dear Evan Hansen. But also, I believe every single co-host that has come on the show has also roasted Dear Evan Hansen at one time or another. We've made fun of it. We talked about the trailer. We talked about that terrible fucking wig Ben Platt is wearing. What are you thinking? I mean, here's the thing. Okay, let me just say this. How old is Ben Platt? Let's do some math right now. Ben Platt currently, in this year of our Lord, Jesus Christ, is 28 years old. And he is pretending 
to be a high school student. Now, sometimes that can work. Example, Dune. We just talked about this, right? Timothy Chalamet, I think he's like 25. He's playing a 15-year-old. Now, a lot of people didn't get that clearly because people were like, I'm sorry, Rebecca Ferguson is his mother? She's way too young. She is if you don't know that Paul is supposed to be 15. Now, I think Timothy Chalamet gets away with it for the most part. He's a little too tall in some of the scenes. I'm like, he's a pretty tall dude. Um, but I think he gets away with it because his face is so young and he's small. You know, he's like, a, he's a thin lad. So like he looks um, younger. It can work sometimes. He gets away with it. Ben Platt, I'm sorry, honey, you don't get away with it. You don't get away with it. You're almost 30. They put you in that wig. You're around actual, I don't, I don't think they're actually high school aged people, but they look younger. And listen, I'm not saying anything else bad about his talent or anything like that. You know, I know he um, is for some people, but um, it doesn't work is what I'll say. So thank you, Brian, for linking to that roast. Thank you for remembering that we roasted Dear Evan Hansen. I black out 99% of the time I record the show. I forget what we talk about on the show. I remember how funny it was when that trailer came out. I lost my fucking mind when I saw that trailer. One of my fondest memories was seeing Shang-Chi. Again, one of the first movies I saw back after the pandemic. So nice to be around Marvel nerds again. And there was maybe a nine-year-old girl sitting next to me, and that trailer came on. First of all, why did they show the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen before Chang-Chi? Know your audience. I don't think that's the same audience. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there's a lot of musical uh, nerds who are also comic book fans. That could be. I could be off base with that, but I thought it was an odd choice. Entire audience laughed all throughout the trailer. And then at the end, there was a pause. And the little girl next to me shouted, what? And then why? Nobody had an answer for her. But I thought it was a very astute observation from a child. I was like, yeah, indeed. What and why? And I still don't have an answer, Ben Platt. Not a satisfactory one. He was like, oh, my dad is directing it. And I could only be the one who said, what? Hire somebody else. Get a different actor. Get a younger actor. Get a younger looking actor. Either. All right. Sorry. Sorry I flew off the handle at the end of this episode to rant about Dear Evan Hansen, a film that I'm pretty sure no one has thought about since it came out. And I'm sorry if you're a fan. I'm sorry if you're a fan of Dear Evan Hansen, a weird musical whose plot I have to reread every time because I keep forgetting it. And then I'm like, that's the plot of Dear Evan Hansen. I'm sorry if you're a fan. Sorry if you're a fan of Ben Platt. You're allowed to be a fan of those things. I'm allowed to not like them, all right? This is a safe space for hot takes. I don't even think that's a hot take. I think it's a universal take, and there are some fans of Dear Evan Hansen and good for them. That's what I'll say. Please follow the show. Please support the show if you can. I know times are tough for so many people, but you are truly how the lights stay on around here. A podcast is not free. I got to pay for a million things. Believe it or not, as low uh, <laughs> as a low budget as we may seem, it's not a low budget show. So go to lighttreason.news, go to patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. If you can, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, if you're double vaxxed, get out there and cause a little trouble. 